by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. You know, comedy has been important for societies because we need comedians to point out the absurdity of a situation as a kind of social critique. And they also provide civic imagination. So civic imagination is maybe even more fun to think about because civic imagination is the idea that we can't just talk about how the world is broken. We have to show what it looks like when the world is better and the world that we want to create. And that has to include hope and play and dancing and light and optimism. So comedy can allow us to laugh at things that are terrible. That's Katie Borum Chachu, the executive director of Center for Media and Social Impact. She is our guest today. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Well, I am excited for this interview for a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons why I'm excited. Uh, I have with me the executive director for the Center for Media and Social Impact, my dear sister, Katie Borum Chatu. Katie, how are you? Hey, Rev. That was a great intro. I feel like, how could I be bad after that introduction? I'm good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, well, first, let's get to the man. I want to make sure, because I've always just, Katie's pretty easy. That's <laughs> C-A-T-Y. It's a pretty easy thing. But let's get yeah. to the, let's get to the, the born tattoo. And I have an interest why I want to get to that. So uh, your husband is from Trinidad. Right. Yes, sir. Yep. So, right. so then, so then, how, how do you think your last name should go? <laughs> oh, I love it. That's so funny. I'm getting picked on right away. Uh, I should say also that my kids call their dad. Sometimes they call him a Trinidaddy, which is pretty. Adorable. A Trinidaddy. A Trinidaddy. I love it. I, <laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs> So, yeah, I've said over the years, I feel like I heard some of his family members say Chateau over the years. He has people in Trinidad and Brooklyn. And so I've said Chateau, but often I hear him say it in different ways. And he says Chateau sometimes. So, you know. Uh, What part of Trinidad is his family from? uh, A place called Avocat. Okay. I love it. Okay. (laughs) Do Do you know this place? Of course. I mean, I, I know every place in, in Trinidad. You know, my, yeah, my parents are. Yeah, no, it's, it's not huge at all. Why? Now, you, now you're taking the shots at your, at your husband's country. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's charming. Yeah, it's not huge. <laughs> so and go it's ahead. Funny because my two last names don't match at all. So I'll do it. So I'll, I'll, okay, I'll you lead do you it. so you don't feel bad. So welcome. Welcome to the show. To this show today, we have Katie Boron Chatu, my dear sister, Katie. How are you doing today? <laughs> I am fine, Rev. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. You said my name way better than I have ever said it. So that's like a mix of a tennis, a Tennessee and true that accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. That was exactly. That's not a mix oh, you run into all the time. That is that is not a mix. It's like a uh, uh, Taylor Swift 
and Sparrow. If you don't know who yes. Sparrow is, Sparrow oh, is a- speaking of Sparrow, Rev. Yes. I, uh, when I was in Trinidad in 2004, I, I, I can't figure out how this timing worked out, but I saw the Mighty Sparrow in a show. Mm, wow. That's, yeah. a, that's fantastic. Yeah. And there was a statue of him outside our hotel, and that's how I learned a little bit more about him. So, yeah. Wow. So for those who are just tuning in, you're probably saying, what in the world does this have to do anything with climate change? What is, what is going on? What is happening? Is this that Rev and Katie are just having an awesome conversation about <laughs> Trinidad? Well, yes and no. Uh, Katie uh, is the executive director, I mentioned, of the Center for Media and Social Impact, CMSI. And it's an innovation lab and research center at American University that creates, showcases, and studies media design for social change. She is an assistant professor at the American University School of Communications in Washington, D.C., and she is an award-winning documentary producer, scholar, professor, and she works at the intersection of social change, communication, documentary, and entertainment storytelling. She is awesome, y'all. And she just released a report titled Comedy for Racial Justice in the Climate Crisis, Leveraging Creativity and Building Community Power in Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave, focusing on using social justice comedy for the climate crisis. Uh, Her new book, A Comedian and an Activist, Walk into a bar. The serious role of comedy and social justice is about the role of a mediated comedy and social change uh, dynamics. And her documentary book, uh, Story Movements, How Documentaries Empower People and Inspire Social Change, will release in September. She's just awesome, y'all. And so I just wanted to just make sure and bring her on so y'all can understand why we are having so much fun, because obviously she deals in the world of comedy, and we, I'm hopeful that this interview, wherever you are listening to it, in this, in this world of, oh my goodness, of p- pandemic and pollution and poverty and police brutality, that you laugh, because I believe that if it's that fun, you are done. And mm-hmm. so I'm so happy to have my dear sister with me. So before mm-hmm. we get started, who is Katie Borum Chatu? Well, Rev, thank you so much for all of that. It was so generous of you to even mention the two books. And I'm always glad when people giggle at the book title. Um, You know, there are a lot of ways that I guess I could describe my journey, but I know we wanted to get into some really deep stuff about comedy and social justice. So let me keep this part brief. You know, it's just to say that my entire career has been served Uh, really spent in service of the idea that media is a powerful form of, you know, cultural perceptions and shaping what we think and know and learn about people and how lives are lived. And, you know, the field of, in academic worlds, um, the field of communication and media studies kind of took off when TV um, came into our lives, you know, really in the 40s and 50s. And a lot of social scientists spent a lot of years talking about how media violence was going to affect people and what was going to happen. And media was quite terrible. And there's lots of research that shows us that when negative portrayals of people are consistent, um, that we really believe those negative portrayals 
and, you know, talking about racial justice issues, gender roles, lots of different um, ways in which that manifests. So that's all true. And at the same time, if we know how powerful media and entertainment is, we also understand that media entertainment is a potentially very, very powerful, positive force for social good. And so that's probably Mm. the best way that I would explain my own work and my values and motivation is that I really love entertainment and culture and media. And I think it can be and is a very powerful force for social change and for goodness and justice. And so my work as a producer and as a scholar and an activist and a book author is to really write and create things that help tell that story and to really Mm. build creative power um, for, for groups and organizations that, you know, for many decades have been kind of shut out of uh, culture in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I'm really passionate about that work. And, you know, I've produced documentaries. I've worked in Hollywood. I worked at a foundation. Now I run this organization and I'm also a professor. So I like to say I've worked in every kind of workplace you can work in if you're creating and studying and writing about media for social change on a whole range of issues from HIV uh, awareness in the late 90s to reproductive health to climate justice, environmental justice, racial justice, Islamophobia, um, and on and on. So it's a real privilege to be able to collaborate, um, which I know we're going to talk about with organizations and leaders like yours, because you all are really in the community doing work with um, with people whose lives uh, are incredibly important to think about in all of this work. Thank you. Thank you. And flattery, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> so, 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 so thank you. We, we appreciate that. Of course. I actually, I think it's important for people to know um, how this work evolves and how it has evolved. And I know you worked with the phenomenal Norman Lear. So for those who don't know, because there's, there's a generation who may not quite understand Norman Lear, maybe give a little back background mm-hmm. on on him, mm-hmm. on some of his work, and particularly in the context of how he used um, our cultural expression to shape our political experience. Yes. Oh, thank you for that question. I could talk for many hours about Norman Lear, but let me try to l- limit it to your question and my experience with him. So Norman Lear, for folks who don't know, is uh, he's really considered a legendary TV producer, and he also calls himself an activist. He actually wrote the foreword to my comedy book, and he asked to be described on the cover as a producer and activist, which pleased me quite a bit. Um, So Norman Lear is one of the first seven inductees into the Television Hall of Fame. And just to give people a little perspective, that group of seven included folks who truly invented television, Milton Berle, Lucille Ball, others of that ilk. And so Norman Lear was one of those, was one of those people. Norman is best known. uh, He is a working producer today. He has several projects in production. He's 97 actually in a couple of days. Um, he, I always say he's the youngest person I've ever met. His soul and his spirit and creativity 
is so curious and open and he just can't get enough out of humans and life. Um, he's just a, a really special human. So people who do know him, know him as the creator of shows like All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Sanford and Son, One Day at a Time, um, many other shows. Sometimes I say, you know, if you were watching comedy in the 70s and 80s, it was Norman Lear's show. He really was like the head of the the head of the pack. So what's meaningful though, and germane to our topic, of course, is that when Norman came along and put All in the Family on the air in 1971, so consider that television had really just started to penetrate American homes for about like 20 years, right? So about like 1948-ish to, you know, what, you know, 20 years later. And so at the time, what what was passing as comedy on TV was like Leave It to Beaver and Father Knows Best. And so those are all like very, very white shows about this kind of version of America where, you know, the dad goes to work and the and the mom's only problem uh, and the major conflict, as Norman would say, is like, ooh, the boss is coming over for dinner and I have burned the pot roast. What will happen? And so Norman <laughs> came along and he said, it's 1971. Like we've been doing civil rights and women's rights and lots of other movement for social justice where, um, you know, Vietnam war is, is happening. Why aren't we talking about that in comedy? Because Mm. those are the lives that we're really living. And I worked for him for almost a decade. And so I was witness to a lot of these conversations where people would come up to him and say things like, you know, we never talked about these issues until your shows came along. Like I couldn't talk to my dad about the war. We couldn't talk about racism. We couldn't talk about things. Um, So I think he really opened the door to this whole contemporary generation of incredible creative people who were going to take what he started and take it all the way to today. So his legacy is really ongoing and his legacy in my life certainly continues. And who knows if I would have written a book about comedy and social justice had I not worked for this guy. Um, And I'll just wrap it up by saying, you know, the other thing about Norman that's special here, and I, I think is inspiring when we think about leadership broadly, is that Norman is um, himself exactly what you would think of if you watch those TV shows. So he's outrageous. He's kind of a deviant. Um, he's really funny. Uh, you'd be disappointed if he wasn't funny. And so for me, as a young person working for him, I had never been around like a successful grown-up person who could be wildly creative and fun and really brilliant all at one time. And I, I'm a little bit of a person who doesn't exactly fit in the lines either. And so he, I, I feel like the universe uh, really put us together, you know, because he was the right person <laughs> no. for me. Yeah. I love it. I think yeah. that's great. Uh, and I and I love Norman Lear also because we share the statement that we're we're known for our hats. So yes. I, we are yes. we are that's hat right. people. And, yeah, that's right. And you know what, Rev, if we were doing this on camera, you would see that I have my fedora on. So I think I'm I a love person. it. Yes. yes. 
Yes. Even I don't I don't rock fedoras though, but I mean, you know. You need to get on that. I, have I need to get on that. the Yeah, I, I I'm I'm just on the baseball baseball hat, but I need to I need to I need to graduate to the fedoras. But you know uh, what? Your sure. hats are special because they also contain they are, yes. a message. Mine are they just do. cute. That is, but yours no, are there it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are you are you are correct. Mine are not cute, actually. But they definitely contain a very important Message. They're all black. Yeah. The folks who don't know, uh, if you just go to at Rev Yearwood, you will see pictures of my hats. And they, they are very important. And I guess that leads to my next question, because my hats sometimes be very sad, actually, to be honest, mm-hmm. Katie. I have hats that, um, yes. many hats that have the names of people um, who have been killed from Trayvon Martin to Alton Sterling to Sandra Bland to... George Floyd, Eric Garner, Erica Garner, you name it. Unfortunately, um, I have that. But I guess in your work and what you've seen, you've seen this amazing way that either comics or in particular black or indigenous people of color Mm. somehow laugh during the crisis. Mm. One, how is that possible and why is that so important to do that as well. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right. So when we think about, okay, I'm going to get all like geeky on you for one second. So when we think about, you know, comedy has been important for societies. Oh, and you brought up that comedy is in the Bible, which I did not even know, by the way, because I was going to talk about Aristotle, but the Bible is older. (laughs) than Aristotle. Um, A little. little, Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to try to speak fluently on this topic because I'm going to mess up on the Bible. But uh, but I love that you pointed that out. And actually, it's one of my favorite quotes when you and I did an interview together. I really have quoted you a lot on that. So you guys know that comedy is in the Bible. Um, So going back to the days of Aristotle, you know, Aristotle, this guy was way ahead of his time because He was one of the first people that we know of, at least in writing, that said, you know, comedy is so necessary for society because we need comedians to point out the absurdity of a situation as a kind of social critique. And so we need, if we think about, comedians do a couple of different things, and this is how I write about them. I say that comedians provide social critique that we need. And they also provide civic imagination. And so civic imagination is maybe even more fun to think about because civic imagination is the idea that we can't just talk about how the world is broken. We have to show what it looks like when the world is better and the world that we want to create. And that has to include hope and play and dancing, and light, and optimism. So comedy can allow us to laugh at things that are terrible. Um, So the social critique part is also hugely important, and particularly when we think about comedians from Black, Indigenous, people of color communities, because these are people who have been historically marginalized in almost every structural way, but also marginalized and shut out of the cultural landscape. And so we haven't had the ability to hear from communities of color talking about their lives 
you know, with decision-making executives who are greenlighting those projects, this is kind of, this is new, right? So even back in Norman Lear's day, I mean, Norman would say this too, he was making the Jeffersons, uh, but Norman Lear was the decision-maker and he's a white guy. So um, it's really important that we hear from comedians of color and, uh, you know, for a million different reasons, but it's important also because when we think about social movements and social activism, and we know this from lots of research that is uh, in my book, we know that when we think about hard topics and Mm. movements and activism, we actually can face real fatigue, right? And so I know we're going to get into climate change, so I'm going to hold back on talking about that. But when we paint issues that are terribly hard, when we um, only have the kind of doom and gloom perspective, even if that, frankly, is, is accurate, but when we only have messages and cultural artifacts around the doom and gloom, it can actually exhaust people and take them out of, you know, the feelings that they can make any change. And so that, you know, we, we call that efficacy. And if people don't feel a kind of efficacy that it, even if I do something, it won't make a difference, then we're not encouraging people to be involved. And so that's um, a major reason why, you know, we need comedy because we need people to be involved and whatever it takes to get them involved, some people are going to respond to messages of anger and fear. And, and we need those, by the way. But some people, we're just not going to get to them if we don't sneak it in through comedy or invite them to play. Mm. And then the last thing I'll say on your question specifically, Rev, is that, you know, I certainly did not invent the idea that comedy has been a source of catharsis and resilience for under-resourced groups for, you know, centuries. There's comedy really comes from people who have been oppressed because comedy allows people to really laugh at their situation and and find humor. And that's a very important psychological effect that comedy plays. So, yeah, so we need comedy for lots of different reasons. And the I, I guess, well, I said I had one more thing to add, but now I have like point two to add, is that if you look <laughs> at the media landscape over the last decade, you know, so, so I'm a media scholar. And so one of the things I do is pay attention to how media platforms change and what we're de- dealing with. So, you know, 2005, YouTube comes along. 2006, Facebook opens up to, uh, you know, people beyond the university environment. It was originally only for, you know, Harvard and uh, students. And then 2007, Twitter comes along. So we have this massive opening of the cultural gates, really, for people to create their own comedy, to have their own dissemination platform, to be able to say what they want. And what's really important about that when we think about comedians of color in particular is that uh, you see in that same moment these incredible talents that we have now, like Hassan Minaj and Issa Rae and Francesca Ramsey, who's on MTV, What's meaningful about their trajectory is that they all started on YouTube. And what's even more meaningful when we're thinking about comedy and social justice and representation and equity issues is that what Hassan and Issa and Francesca were always talking about 
was their experience of being black or brown in America. And so they weren't sort of assimilating Mm. their content to make a quote white audience find them like, okay, they were really doing their thing. And what's most inspiring about that is that they created these massive followings for themselves. And so by the time the, the sort of bigger Hollywood, you know, networks, quote unquote, discovered them, and they didn't really discover them, of course, because they already had millions of fans, but HBO, Netflix, The Daily Show, MTV, these are now the networks of these talented people. By the time those networks came along and offered them deals, they were basically saying, okay, what you're already doing, talking about the brown and black experience in America, we want you to do that on big TV. Now that Mm. is optimism. I see that as a sea change. It's not happening for nearly enough comedians of color and women um, and other folks. It's not enough, but it is something. And it, it, it brings me a lot of excitement when we think about the role of comedy and social justice, because now you have these incredible comedians of color who are like putting issues and lived experience on the cultural map in a funny way. And then we can all participate in that. It's really an amazing time to watch all of this, you know, settle out and evolve. Wow. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Katie Buon Chachu. She is the executive director of the Center for Media and Social Impact. Um, Katie, quick question, just so folks understand. What's the, and this is just a basic, I think people, I want people to really understand the nuances of what you're talking about it from an academic standpoint. What's the difference between comedy and just being funny and how they intersect? Because there's a lot of work that people understand that goes into a comedian. A comedian to me is genius. They are a poet who is taking something. They are writers. They are, they are, they are, they are, they are dancers. It is, they are infusing Mm. something. Um, into how we see it so that it, it has that we have a response to that that brings us joy or brings us a thought process to really think about it differently. So kind of explain that for those who are listening. So they just don't think that just being funny is just funny. And then you can be, but comedy is not just that. So explain the difference to that. Yeah. Oh, that's a deep, good question. Okay, good. I'm going to say some good stuff. So uh, I love, I love this question. So a couple of things. So first, when we think about somebody who's just funny. Okay, so I'm a person who's funny, but I'm not a comedian, but I'm kind of funny as a professor. I'm I'm I can be like situationally funny. You know, I can respond to a moment and all of that. And I find by the way, uh I feel like that really helps my teaching because I teach about tough topics too. I teach about social justice and some of that's hard for young people who've never Plenty of young people know exactly what I'm talking about when I teach in those topics, but plenty, you know, just came out of their mama's house and they don't, haven't been confronted with these issues and it can be hard. So I use comedy to kind of bring people along. So yeah, the point about being funny versus comedy. Yeah. Let me address that and also put it in the context of social justice and activism. So plenty of people are funny, as you mentioned. And so let me go back to Norman Lear um, because he was the great uh, he, he was, he really discovered 
and found people who were funny, just genius funny, mm. and put them on TV. And he actually did that by going to people's theater shows, you know, in New York back in the day, in the 50s, he would find people. So he saw B. Arthur, who um, went on to be in a show called Maud in the 70s. It was also ahead of its time. And he watched B. Arthur in a show and he said, she's just funny no matter what she does. She's just funny. She's just funny. And he also said of Red Fox, who was the star of Sanford and Son, Red Fox, he said, you know, there are people who are funny and there are people who are so funny that, that they're, they're uh, a natural clown. Mm. And he meant this in a really positive, complimentary way. He said, Red Fox would just walk into the room and he was funny. Mm. He would say one thing and he was funny. He wasn't even doing the lines yet, but he was just funny. That's a, a natural funny person. Red, Red Fox, of course, one of the most genius comedians of all time. Um, so yeah, being funny, you know, there is a, a natural ability that uh, a professional comedian has to have to be funny, but to do the deep comedy, and I agree with you, I have this great reverence for comedians as real geniuses, because let's think about what makes something funny. If you're making comedy, you have to be so culturally dialed in to the actual situation that you're making fun of, that you have to be able to explain in a non-explanatory, boring way what the situation is. And then you have to find what's deviant and bend that reality just enough to make it funny. Mm. And this is really meaningful when we think about social justice work, actually, and thinking about social issues that we experience through comedy. Because if you think about this, and I hope you will quote me forever on this, Rev Yearwood, comedy and social justice are deviant cousins. Mm. They actually live together in lockstep in the way that I've written about it and the way that I think about it and the way that many comedians perform. Because think about this, comedy is about taking the status quo and finding a little way in to make it absurd and point out what's wrong with it. And that's what makes us laugh. It's like the incongruence of that reality. Social justice is doing something similar. Social justice looks at the status quo and says, nope, this is not what we want. This is not what we should be settling for. And we want to change this. And so we must have a new way of seeing that thing. And so social justice finds the new way of seeing and fights for that, for equity. And so does comedy. Comedy does it in a funny way, but comedy provides for us a new way of seeing. And the way that we laugh in the first place is that, you know, someone, a, a really talented comedian brings us along in a storytelling journey and then bends it and, in a deviant way. And then that makes us laugh. Wow. So they kind of really live together. That's fantastic. No, I, and I will. I will definitely quote you. I will definitely cite you <laughs> moving forward. And, you know, we had the opportunity to collaborate with you and the Center for Media and Social Impact on a project called Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave. And that's very similar mm -hmm. to what we're talking about because yes. the climate movement has had a tendency to be very much, you know, straightforward and doesn't want to bend the lines and to be honest, robotic. And in that, they mm -hmm. sometimes don't allow for people to uh, take in this message. And so clearly the, the H of Mama's heat wave is a funny way 
of, of talking about how it's getting hotter, how the climate crisis is growing, how we can deal with it. So we wanted to literally do this kind of climate docu-series comedy show um, Mm -hmm. to come out. But tell the folks, you know, a little bit more about it from your perspective. How did it come to be? You know, what is it? Um, And just kind of your thoughts about H Mama's Heat Wave at this time. Yeah, well, we and we should stay here and make sure for the people that they know that this is a, a shared project. And, and, you know, I see this project as really a dream collaboration. I'm going to I'm going to tell you why. I love that, so though. In the yes. First, again, yeah, it really flattery is. will it's get you everywhere. You. Yes, oh, please yes, you're, take away. It. Yes, I'm about to do it. Come on. Um, so, <laughs> um So I've taught about climate change communication for a while, right? So it's one of the things I teach in my social justice class. And aside from comedy, one thing that I've taught for a while and have just said with great passion, I think these are these moments in the classroom where my students are like, oh my God, she needs to calm down a little bit because I really get on a soapbox on it. And I say exactly what you just said in slightly different words, which is, when we think about how we, the broad, 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 not pointing at fingers at any one particular group, how could you possibly, climate change is so massive and the movement is so massive. But I think generally speaking, this movement has been communicated in ways that are clinical, that are technocratic. We're talking about degrees. Most of us are not, you know, people with degrees uh, in, well, I shouldn't say most of us. They're plenty of people with degrees in the hard sciences. But for those of us who are not, I don't really understand. And more importantly, I can't feel why two degrees Celsius is a human thing, right? And so this this movement has communicated with, you know, the movement first had to convince people that climate change was real. And I think largely the movement has won on that. So now that that's true, the real issue that we're sitting on is how do we engage people? How do we make them feel and care and mobilize? And that is actually a harder task than convincing people with science that it's real because there's beautiful science and it's it's not uh, controversial anymore except uh, among fringe thinkers who we're never going to get to and who cares about them, right? So um, our organizations met at this really meaningful moment for our comedy work and for my own personal journey, you know, working on environmental justice issues and teaching about climate change communication and all of that. Um, because we had not seen comedy aside from, you know, like great bits on The Daily Show and Stephen Colbert, like talking about climate science deniers and whatever. That stuff is kind of funny, but it doesn't really get at the issue, which is how do you mobilize people? So I hadn't yet seen comedy in two different ways. A, we hadn't seen comedy, and and you all validated that this is true. We hadn't seen comedy really address and come from people of color in communities. Mm. And the second thing that was sort of a big miss is that broadly speaking, in the big Hollywood marketplace of sort of climate change storytelling, we hadn't really seen storytelling address local places. And local places, as we know, and Rev, you know more this much more than I do, because this is like your daily, this is what you've done, you know, for 20 years, is to be in communion and in community with local, real people 
on the ground who are trying to live their lives with these incredible challenges. So that is just an incredible opportunity to say, what happens if we take those challenges, meaning Black and brown communities largely excluded from storytelling about climate change and also local angles? What if we do comedy that hits those? What can happen? And so Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave, so this is where the flattery comes back in. What I so deeply respect Um, There's so many things I respect about you and your work and Hip Hop Caucus, but you all have done the on the ground organizing, the physical in community organizing, the hardest part of this work. That's what you all have done since you were founded. That is the hardest part of the work because local people, you know, uh, we all live in local communities. We know what our communities care about. We know what they talk about. We know when someone comes in and isn't part of our community. It's not like local communities are just going to accept any big group who comes in and says, we're going to help you do your own messaging. Um, But you all have, have spent so many years working deeply in in real communion and in solidarity with local communities. And so what I've always loved about the Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave project is the idea that you all were going to use it for local mobilization of Black and Brown communities who are most deeply affected by the climate um, crisis, and so that's, you know, that's something that we're not equipped to do because we're a, a, dif- a different kind of organization. But to be in collaboration with an organization that has stronger power than we ever will in that kind of work is is what you want out of a great synergy. I know I didn't describe the project, but I figured maybe No, 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 no. You you did you know. No, no, you did good. No, it's definitely <laughs> a project. It's coming out. It's it's really an intersection of one how we can broaden the movement, how we can tell this story differently, how we can obviously use the genius of comedians and literally laugh when we should be crying. You did it all. No, you said it mm-hmm. all. And folks can obviously can go, they want to find out more about it. They can go to think100climate.com to get more. What you also said though, Katie, you were taking some shots. You know, I'm not going to know, you know, I, you were there saying- Oh, I didn't mean to. Was, oh, no, 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 it was, it was okay. Katie was there saying, and Rev, you know, you so old, this, this, but you've been doing oh, it. You've been God. doing this work. <laughs> you said oh, for 20 years and- you were doing it back then <laughs> with Jesus and uh I'm so sorry, man. And organizing oh my God, I organizing oh the first God. the first Palestinian Jews back then and <laughs> I know. You wrote you were like involved in the I know. I, I took like, you back to biblical times. Aristotle and you was was cooling buddies and <laughs> was, so I know oh that's God, but you, but you so cool. Sorry. But you cool, you cool, you cool now, you know. You all right. Uh uh, you know, uh, you you good with us, so you you can definitely definitely take the shots. We've been doing this for a minute, and that's that's it. So we but we appreciate yeah. you. But I actually want to get to that you actually did very actually very important because all jokes aside, which is actually funny talking to somebody who actually does comedy. So I guess there are really no jokes aside. But mm-hmm. in this moment, you actually wrote a report. That's so important because one thing the academy needs to understand this because sometimes we say these things and we talk about it. Mm. But she went further and you says, well, let me put this down into an academic form. Let me put this down into writing. So in a report, and that report has just come out and it's a comedy for racial justice in the climate crisis, leveraging creativity and building community power 
in Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave. And, you know, you did this report and um, you can go to your website. Uh, give that right now, Katie. What's your website? Oh, it's uh, CMS Impact, I-M-P-A-C-T dot org. And it's featured on the the main homepage slider. You can't miss it. Oh, awesome. So go there. We'll also have it at think100climate.com. So you can go there and that will link back to it. Um, so let's get to that because that's important um, for us yes. to really get to. So tell us about this report um, that you put out and talk about literally why this report is important and give some of the, the key conclusions that you found in the report. And I just want to tell you this. One of the things that really, really got me in the report, I'll tell you, was definitely how you talk about how the comedy uh, collaboration for yes. social change, how comedy can mobilize local communities and and so and climate justice and social justice, how you discuss comedy and the cultural production, how that strengthens mm-hmm. local community mobilization, how you discuss comedy, how it provides a shared cultural mm-hmm. language. Uh, there's so much in this report. I mean, just you, you just you just and I, and and I think. This, so just get into it because this report here discusses how local communities uh, have to tell their stories their way. Mm-hmm. And so all that's in the report. So, again, you can you can go read it at your own leisure. But because we have Katie right here who wrote the report, give us some of your your pieces on the report that you want people to, to know about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Rev. Well, um, let me tell you a couple of things that are you know, behind the reason why this report we felt was important, you know, not just our comedy show and the docu-comedy, which actually is Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave, but it was really important for us, and I know for Hip Hop Caucus, it was really important for us to tell the story about how we made this project. And I want to talk about why and, and what that means for other movement organizations. So the report itself, just as a kind of summary, really tells the story about how Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave came to be, how it was created. And then it also features the the voices of the people who were involved in making the project. And so I completed in-depth interviews with almost everybody who's featured on camera. And the beautiful thing about this project, which is in the report, is that importantly, the people who are on camera in Norfolk, Virginia, are also the people who helped create it. And that to me is is what makes this really special and also instructive for other organizations and other folks in the climate movement spaces who might want to employ comedy. So the, the first point is, and you hit on it, Rev, collaboration is so important. And collaboration, creative collaboration, is not something that every social justice organization necessarily knows how to do right away, because think about what social justice organizations are doing on the day-to-day. It's like legislative advocacy, hardcore organizing, mobilizing people, getting them to show up, getting people to care about things. So thinking about being funny and entertaining is actually a different enterprise, right? 
Hip Hop Caucus understands this because you all were created out of culture. You were created out of music and hip hop and creativity. So it's in your DNA. So you all, we knew you'd be a good partner because you already understand this. Um, but we have to create safe spaces mm. for comedians and social justice groups to co-create together. And I love this term co-create. And so what that means is that social justice organizations need to feel confident when they work with comedians, that comedians are not just going to come in and like make fun of their issue, right? So you're not going to come in, are you going to make fun of poverty? Well, no, you're going to make fun of the structures and institutions that perpetuate and profit off of comedy, uh, off of uh, poverty. That's what you're going to make fun of because that's the power institution. Comedy is funnier when we punch up, right? Um, and so comedians also, and this is really important for folks who want to actually now run off after they hear this and go find some comedians and work with them. That's right. It's really important that we create creative freedom and space for comedians to do what they do well, which is to be um, really open and sometimes pretty deviant on their way to arriving at something that can be funny. And so comedians have to often, when they're workshopping ideas, and I've worked with comedians now for a really long time, when comedians are really workshopping ideas, like in their sketch pads, like writing things out, tossing jokes back and forth in a writer's room, things have to get a little offensive sometimes, right? So they have to get down in that space. And that's how you know, the, an idea comes from that and someone adds to the idea, the yes and idea comes into place, right? And so by the time you come out of that and you have something great, like a stand-up show or, you know, a sketch or, you know, a sitcom idea, I promise you that comedian has already taken it to some places that are, we might think, you know, like, oh, I, I don't, I don't know if they're being sensitive or, or is that too offensive? But they, it's part of the process, right? Creative process, as we know, with music and other forms, you can't judge it. You just have mm. to let it be what it's going to be and then trust the artist. The artist is going to be smart. Um, so the Ain't Your Mama's Heatwave report tells the story about how our organizations created that space together. And then it also tells the story about the co-creative process that happened with filming the documentary itself. And so the documentary is a journey doc as for your listeners to know. I know you know, Rev, because it's our shared project, but um, the comedians, you know, head to Norfolk and meet all these amazing community leaders and young poets and this incredible woman named Mama D, who we all love. And they have this, um, they learn together and they find what's funny. And so we go on this journey with them. And so even the production process for that was actually grassroots organizing mm. that Hip Hop Caucus did. And so it's empowering because, you know, one thing that we heard uh, over and over again when I was interviewing folks who are in the film and helped to put the, the comedy show together, like Batman um, and others, you all will read about all these characters in the, in the report, but what people said pretty consistently was, you know what, the African-American community in Norfolk, we, we are resilient and we are strong and we're dealing with a lot all the time. And so I'm not sure one more serious message 
is going to mobilize people. We need some space to come together and to celebrate together, celebrate resilience, celebrate power. Um, And so that's really what the comedy making process, I think, meant to people who live in that community and certainly meant, I think, to all of us who are part of it, being able to watch you know, real community resilience. And and by the way, I want to say here that community resilience and power is the literal opposite of pity. Come on now. And empathy. And sometimes that's what we do when we think about serious messages, almost exclusively doom and gloom. We fall into this trap of feeling so sorry. Well, the, I'm glad that's not my community. That doesn't look like my community. But with comedy brings out power And it brings out, again, I keep overusing this word, but it's totally right. The resilience of a people who are, you know, structurally often disadvantaged and manage to make magic things happen. That's about power. That's not about pity. So comedy is uh, pretty good for that because we can all be in a cultural space together, you know? No, I, I, I love it. I'm also just kind of laughing because for people who are listening say, my goodness, they had Batman? Like Batman, Gotham City Batman? They had, Batman. They had DC Comics Batman of the ending. Totally. <laughs> yes, called him the superheroes. We had the, they had the superheroes? Uh, yes. Helping organize down there in Norfolk? And we'd be like, yeah. we'd be like, yes, we did. We had, we definitely had, we, we definitely superhero. had superheroes. But just so you know, uh, yeah. Batman is a nickname for Charles Brown II, who was a phenomenal activist for Hip Hop Caucus, CIC Leeds, yeah. Hip Hop Caucus, Virginia. So definitely <laughs> want to give Batman a shout out there. But for folks who were thinking that yeah. was the actual superhero, he is, but that isn't that superhero. So just want to make sure people. And you know what, Rev? <laughs> since we're since we're uh, since we're um, giving space for Batman here, I just want to quote from him directly. He says one of the greatest things that I quote directly in the report. It's so good, and I told him he should make a T-shirt out of this, and maybe he will. He said, "Here's why comedy is important. Energy creates momentum." And momentum creates action. Mm. He said, you can talk about these issues all day long, but if there's not energy around them, you're not going to get the people to stop their daily lives or whatever and pay attention to what you're doing. So I love that idea of energy. And Batman filled the Attic's Theater two days in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's he's amazing. Yes, he is a superhero. No doubt about it, 100%. And we are discussing... This important report that just came out, Comedy for Racial Justice in the Climate Crisis. If you are a uh, climate organization, if you are a climate activist, uh, if you are just concerned about the climate, what's going on with the climate in general, uh, you need to read this to help broaden what you are doing and, and, and get with Katie so she can talk to you more mm-hmm. about about that safe space. And speaking of safe space, can you just explain to people, we, we also had a comedy think tank. Uh, what is a comedy think tank if they, they don't know what that is? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So the comedy think tank actually is that creative space. So, you know, I had done all this research on comedy and social change, and I kind of realized that even 
if I gave a big talk, you know, full of my fanciest research and my biggest passion, right, and say, like, comedy is important for social justice, that what was happening when I was actually giving those talks is that I would get to the end of a talk like that, and then someone would say, but I have no idea. They would say two things, actually, really consistently, which drove me crazy enough that I thought, oh, we have to create a program. They would say, what if the comedy goes too far? So they're already like a little afraid of the creativity, right? And they would also say, but I don't know how to collaborate with a comedian. And I could see that what was happening was people might interpret what I was saying as like, oh, I'm going to call my one funny friend and I'm going to get my funny friend to write some jokes. <laughs> but really, I'm going to say like, you have to say these 10 messages. And that's not funny. It's just, it's like, less boring talking points. You know what I mean? But that's not the same thing as funny. So the Comedy Think Tanks is a program that we created that is um, also directed and facilitated by Bethany Hall, who works at our center as the creative director of comedy initiatives. And so what we do in the Comedy Think Tanks is over a week, it's basically a workshop. Um, It's like a real writer's room, but over a week, the social justice organization gets to explain everything about the issue that they're dealing with, right? So here's the science of the issue. Here's the lived experience of that issue. Here's everything we know. Here are the challenges. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's who we want to reach. And so the comedians act as kind of students and they take in all this information. They just, you know, they absorb it. They take notes on it. They ask questions about it. And then for the rest of the week, the comedians really create comedy out of what they learned. And then toward the end of that workshop experience, the social justice group and the comedians actually come back together and they kind of workshop what can work out of that. And so what we found, and now we've worked with several organizations like you all and Color of Change and a group called Illuminative and Define America and a number of organizations, we find that that actually really is the dual safe space, right? It's the safe space for social justice groups to feel like their issues are not being made fun of. And it's a creative safe space for comedians to really do what they need to do. And then, and and it's a true collaboration, you know, instead of someone kind of hiring a comedian to write jokes, but then having no creative agency over how those jokes really are used. Mm. And so, you know, the potential to make them boring can be high if if a group hasn't worked with comedy before. But comedians are smarter than the rest of us. So um, because of that, taking reality and bending it, all that stuff I explained earlier. So I think we can trust comedians um, to do that kind of higher level thinking and, and know that they're not going to be making fun of the issue, but they're always going to take a shot at the structural inequity that makes the issue terrible. And that's something that, frankly, from social justice perspective, those are the issues that we're all working on. Wow. Well, Katie, I just want to say, I'm so glad that we got a chance to work together on Ancient Moments Heat Wave, um, which is a docu-comedy um, and just a new way of broadening the movement. It's, it's so, so funny. And I can't wait for it to come out uh, again for folks. You can check it out at Think 100 Climate to get more information when it, when it, when it does come out. And this report, um, you, can, you can get it. This comedy for racial justice in the climate crisis, leveraging 
creativity and building community power in Ain't Your Mama's Heat Wave. Uh, you actually say in the report that this invites social justice organizers, activists, community leaders, and environmental advocates to learn about the power of creativity and comedy to disrupt usual ways of doing business in the climate crisis and why it matters. This is a must-get um, a report uh, that you can get comedy for racial Comedy for Racial Justice in the Climate Crisis. So, Katie, again, give me your website where they can find that. And I have one more question for you. Give them that website that they can know. And actually, give them where they can find you and the website and the comedy think tank and all that stuff. Indeed. Okay, yes. So the website for the Center for Media and Social Impact, where we always host our reports, and this is a, um, a new one, so it'll be featured on the homepage. It's CMSI mpact.org, cmsiimpact.org. And also I'll just throw in a quick plug. Um, my book, A Comedian and an Activist Walk into a Bar, is also important for climate change listeners because there's a whole chapter in it about climate change and comedy with lots of research about why we need comedy and climate change and actually how it works as a really powerful message delivery system. So you can find me in that way, too. And this is uh, my center is at American University and I'm on Twitter. And, you know, you know how it is, Rev. The minute you decide you're going to live a public life, people can find you 17 different ways. They can find you 17 different ways. And we we love selling books here. So one more time, give give the book one more time. Oh, yes. It's called A Comedian and an Activist Walk Into a Bar, colon, The Serious Role of Comedy in Social Justice. And it's on, you know, it's on all the places, right? Like Barnes and Noble, it's University of California Press. If you just Google it, nobody else has a book title like this. So if you Google it, it's going to come up. There it is. And y'all know y'all got plenty of time on your hands with COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And see y'all sitting and should be home uh, with the quarantine. Make sure you get out, wear the mask. And if you do that, make sure you bring that book with you. Uh, Katie, I just got one last question for you because... um, you know, this is real. The climate crisis is real. Um, and as we deal with it, it's something that we realize that we are we have fought for equality in the 20th century, but we're also now fighting for existence in the 21st yes. century. And climate depression and anxiety is real. Um, there's been surveys that have been released that said that 71% of millennials and 67% of Gen Z feel that climate change has a negative impact on their mental health. Four in five people in the 18 to 23-year-old age cohort said they aren't planning or don't want to have children as a result of climate change. I have personally seen climate activists who have decided uh, to um, commit suicide. And if you're listening to this, definitely please just Google the suicide lifeline. Um, That is not the answer. Um, You know, we need you in this movement. We need you no matter how you feel. 
I tell a lot of young people, please, you know, you got to find something outside of yourself because you just can't, you know, rely on yourself because it would just consume you. So that it's a it's, so climate depression is real, right? It's real, and so I guess to you as as we as we just kind of like just think about this moment where we're in. Um, with everything going on from Breonna Taylor to George Floyd to the climate crisis to hurricanes and wildfires to poverty and millions being unemployed. This, I mean, there's so much going on at this moment, right? Mm-hmm. How can comedy help now? Yeah. Well... Look, it's important for me to say, of course, and I write this um, in the report, too, that, you know, comedy certainly is not a structural solution to, you know, discrimination, gentrification, structural, deeply structural racist uh, boundaries that have calcified in this country. Comedy is not going to, you know... we, we need to be responsible, right, when I, when I talk about comedy. But comedy, for all the reasons that you just said, Rev, we can't be in anger all the time. And we just know that, I mean, if we just stop for a minute as we're hearing a sentence like that, and we just think about in our daily lives, aside from co- climate change and other things, daily lives, things that we might be dealing with with our families and friends or work or whatever, Anger is, anger can be so toxic for us, right? As, as humans and, and in our ability to actually find any solidarity with other humans, I, you know, that it's such a fatiguing emotion, even if we do need anger a lot of the time to propel action. That's absolutely right. We need anger, but we can't stay at that space all the time or we just can't keep on. And so if we want to think about comedy, in addition to what it does for us culturally, we think about comedy psychologically as a source of catharsis and resilience and a way to take a breath Mm. and to find something to giggle about, you know, with our people. We have to use comedy in that way. And, And it's interesting, actually, I'll just maybe leave it on this note. If you look at the pandemic, you know, since the United States really started to shut down pretty consistently in March. um, So as we were shut down, think about what kind of content you saw being shared the most. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, none of us really knew what was going on at first. It was like uh, CDC says this thing and World Health Organization says this other thing and Dr. Fauci says this other thing, you know, like, oh my God, what is this? What do we do? How do we protect our families? But the other big form of content that was being shared and created all over the place was comedy. Now, to me, that's not mysterious. You know, people were, ordinary people were creating comedy. We were all creating comedy in our houses and putting it on TikTok and YouTube and all over the place. So there's a reason for that, that as a collective people, We needed that comedy while we were all stuck at home or having to go to work despite the pandemic, which, you know, is the case for many, many people in this country. And through all of that, this comedy all over the web was just 
taking off. And that's still the case. And so, you know, not saying there's a causal connection that we could prove with science, but you can't convince me that those ideas don't come hand in hand, that while we're in this deep depression of another nature, you know, dealing with the pandemic, you know, that we needed comedy. And the same is true of climate change. And and just going back to the, you know, our original big topic here, which is environmental justice and climate and comedy. If the comedy can reach out to people and have them find a moment of relief and release, and also a reason to come together, you know, because we want to play and hear something, then we need that to power us for everything that comes next. We need that power. We need that energy. So comedy can do that. Mm. Thank you, Katie, so much. That means a lot. And in in the uh, in the Bible, it says you have to use the foolish things to confound the wise. And I believe if we do that, we can win. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a nonprofit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. Big one, honey, big one, honey.